My name is Joseph Wooten. I'm the keyboard player for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inducted Steve Miller Band. And I'm also one of the Wooten brothers from Nashville, Tennessee. And today we talked about social justice. We talked about giving context to young people. We talked about using music as a tool of change. We talked about uh, homeless veterans, veterans in general. We talked about the fact that everybody matters. We talked about uh, homeless people feeling invisible and how to remedy it. Stay tuned. It's going to be good. Here's something I've always been curious about, the connection between things. Some things only make sense when they are in connection with something else. Here's what I mean. Imagine for a second that you're driving down a long highway and you can see something far off in the distance. Now you might decide that what you're seeing is something, whatever it is. But as you get closer to it, you might suddenly realize that it's something else altogether. But then it will appear to be something else again as you're looking at it in the rear view. Now, what if the thing you're viewing is not a thing, but rather an event, or for that matter, a presidency, or even a year? You see, everything changes with space and context, and even more with both. Now, what if you applied that same thesis to respect and rhythm? That's what we're going to explore on this delicious episode of, lead, of curiosity bites so stay tuned i'm your host dove baron you can find out more about me and how to hire me as a speaker executive advisor or strategist for your organization by going to dovebaron.com we are grateful and excited to tell you that this episode of curiosity bites is brought to you in part by magcast imagine having your own industry magazine what would that do for your authority well, whether you're a coach, a content expert, an emerging brand, or any of the above, it's hard to stand out from the crowd, right? So what if there was a proven way to increase both your perceived authority and your professional status in the eyes of the market and to do it all at once? This is your way to go from being invisible to getting meetings with anyone you want. To find out more, you can simply go to magcast.co. That's M-A-G-C-A-S-T dot C-O where first-time publishers create thriving magazine businesses. Now, remember that you can join in this conversation uh, by going into our Facebook group. It's called Curiosity Bites. Surprise. All right, let's jump down on this particular delicious episode. Here's a seemingly philosophical, maybe a quantum question. You know, as we do tend to go into those subjects here. What if what's completely different is 100% the same? What if I 0% of something is 100% of something, therefore 100% of something is 0% of something? Huh? It's called context. Imagine for a second, a mother, you turn a corner, you're walking down the street, you turn a corner and a mother is screaming at a child while dragging that child down the street. If you don't have, if you don't have context, you might create context. You might decide, well, this mother's a horrible mother and she's abusive or whatever it is because you have no context. But in a time machine, if you move forward, maybe just a minute or two, you could see that maybe that child had stepped out in front of traffic and the mother was freaked out and she pulled the child off the street and saved its life. And suddenly you have context and everything is different. Well, what if that's the problem with the world that we find ourselves in today? We are making judgments without having real context. 
So on these delicious episodes, we're going to explore what might be the rhythm of respect and how does that give context to the world that we find ourselves living in. But you're going to love this episode because my guest on this episode is Joseph Wooten. He is a three-time Grammy-nominated artist, songwriter, keyboardist, vocalist with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee, uh, keyboardist, vo vocalist, or, wait for it, Abra, Abra, Cadabra. Yes, the Steve Miller Band, for those of us who are old enough to remember that band. Uh, he is a producer, a speaker, and he fronts his own band, Joseph Wooten and the Hands of Soul. On top of that, he's an author of It All Matters, from which there is a TED Talk delivered in Memphis, Tennessee, called Why It All Matters. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together and help me welcome the man with his hands on the rhythm of respect, Mr. Joseph Wooten! <laughs> and that's a better welcome than you got last night. When you Man, did your live gig. <laughs> well, yeah, I did I did my, my first live gig in a while and everything's different now. There's oh like yeah. Only, only about a quarter, maybe a third of the people allowed in the room. And uh, you know, you're getting your temperature temperature checked before you come in and everybody's in masks. And uh uh it's just a different experience. It still felt good to play. Oh, I'll bet. But, uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's you were um, like <laughs> jumping at the bit to get on that <laughs> stage, man. Yeah, well, it's 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 different now, man. It's it's different. Well, now. I mean, but, you know, it's a feedback loop, right? It's a yes. feedback loop. I mean, performing is a feedback loop, even at the level of being a speaker like me. It's a feedback mm -hmm. loop, and I, of course, do a ton of virtual presentations, right. but it's not the same as being in a room with a thousand or even a hundred people who right. are there giving you a feedback loop or 10,000 people, you know, the, you can see them chatting to each other. You can see the eyeballs. You can see the reactions that you can hear the applause and the laughter or whatever it might be. That's it's different. A, it's, it's just a shift. It's, it's still uh, gratifying of because the, peop the, the people that were there hadn't been able to see live music for a while. So right. they were smaller, but they were more, appreciative and and everybody was just like more careful i mean you want to you just have a natural tendency to want to hug the people that you play with or hug the people that you haven't seen in a while or hug the people that appreciate what you just did and it's sort of uh music is the most natural thing you can do having to do it in the most unnatural way yeah that's having true. to not hug and not shake hands and not greet people and keeping a distance and that whole thing but you said something there that um, I think is quite interesting, um, which is that maybe, you know, it, yes, it was awkward, and, and but it felt gratifying to be able to play. But the interesting thing I thought you said was that maybe, we don't know for sure, but I would, I would think you're right. People were more appreciative. They took it less for granted. You know, we all know the saying, um, we, you know, we know that people are, take things for granted when they're always available and um so maybe because we you know particularly people who love live music who couldn't have that access to that for almost a year suddenly right. walking in and, and going oh my god i mean they must have been totally on fire yes you they really appreciate it because we don't know 
like as the as the pandemic gets worse, we don't know if there's another shutdown, you know, on the horizon. So you get a chance to see your music and people are really taking it in. But the thing about awkwardness, it's awkward merely because we're not used to it. Yeah, of course. Right? That makes it awkward, not necessarily because it's right or wrong. We're just not used to it. I mean, the way we're used to seeing people walk, but if you think about how we get from one place to another, that's a that's an awkward way of travel. Like yeah, you almost absolutely. fall and then you catch yourself and almost fall and catch yourself again. And we call it walking and we're used to it. So it doesn't seem awkward when, when you examine what it is, it is awkward. So sometimes awkwardness is necessary, like puberty, right? It's awkwardness. Well, I think that awkwardness is, is the unfamiliar, right? I mean, anything yes. that's unfamiliar is awkward. But right. if it's familiar, then you're stuck because you're doing the same things. That's right. That's right. So it was, uh, it was awkward, but it was something to embrace. It was beautiful too. Yeah. I recognize that it was only awkward because it was different than I've ever played music before. But it's right. beautiful because I'm playing music and because what? Because of the thing that playing music does still brings people together, even though you're socially distanced and you know can only briefly touch, you know, touch your elbow. <laughs> But it's still music still fulfills the same purpose, brings the same joy. Absolutely. So here's where I always like to start the show, Joseph. And that mm -hmm. is, what do you presently, you know, the show is called Curiosity Bites. So what do you presently mm -hmm. find yourself most curious about? Recently, the thing I'm always about trying to make the world better, like trying to solve the things that can't be solved. And, and, um, one of them, uh, the thing that I'm the most focused on right now is kind of how to heal this racial division. Because most of it, most of it is wrapped up in cultures that don't understand each other. Mm -hmm. And because the, because the subject is so volatile, we don't talk about it. And I understand, right. like, if you're a white person who has your, your heart in the right place, I understand why you don't go to your black friend and go, excuse me, brother, I'd really like to heal this division. What can I do, right? It feels kind of awkward. So that's sort of what I've been studying. I've been studying uh, history. Mm -hmm. I keep my eye on politics. I watch people and I, I'm, I'm the guy that likes to have the awkward conversation because I know mm -hmm. that it can be done. And I enjoy uh, helping other people to see that it can be done. But the, the main one, the main one that I'm wrestling with, uh, trying to get out of is, is um, like, I know that there's a panel coming up on uh, reparations, right? Reparations mm -hmm. for slavery. And that's, uh, I understand why that's hard for some people to understand. Like, I understand why people want it, but I understand why people think that it's like, slavery was so long ago. Like, how are we gonna pay people for that? Mm -hmm. But I think the piece that people miss, that, and that's easier to understand, is that like in, in, in 1942, this is, uh, you know, after, after uh, this is during FDR. Yep. Who, who started in 32. When FDR, FDR gets, the, gets the country back on track, right? Yes. He gets the country back on track. After the Great Depression. Uh, after the Great Depression. And, and people were willing for him to open up the pocketbook. People, 
were arguing against big government back then too. But when you're in pain, you're willing to get a check from a big government, right? Of course. <laughs> so, but, but what people don't recognize is when FDR is putting people back to work, building the suburbs and plotting, not plotting, planning uh, the course of the future, you know, building suburbs, uh, highways and all those things. What people don't recognize is those soldiers that came out of World War II, white soldiers had federally backed loans guaranteed, yes. Yes. guaranteed. So when you were a soldier, you could get a home merely because you were white and you fought. Yes. Right. And and um, people it, people gained wealth, you know, from equity mm -hmm. and the appreciation of home. So they were the family that was able to get a mortgage, their progeny is set on a course of having disposable money to send your kids to college. Having some level of prosperity for sure. Yeah. Certainly, yes. But a black family was disqualified merely because they were black. Couldn't yeah. get a couldn't get a loan. The the zoning laws kept them out of the suburbs by law. Yeah. Right. So what that means is you come from the same war with the same skills. And you're forced into overcrowded apartments or back on the farm or living with families. So our cultures are set on two different trajectories, not because black people are evil, just because we did, because the state didn't allow us to be on equal footing. So what happens is black people go to overcrowded apartments, which means overcrowded schools, which means, you know, the police are still treating you like, you know, like you're black and, and, and blaming you for all, all the things that come when your community is overcrowded, too much crime, not enough room, no, uh, no uh, sources of uh, income, and your job pays you less. Mm -hmm. Can't get in the union, right? Can't get in mm -hmm. the union by law. And I think what a lot, of, a lot of people whose hearts are in the right place now aren't armed with the information to recognize when the, like you'll hear people say well what about black on black crime chicago like chicago is always the reason we don't have to do anything because black on black crime right <laughs> so we don't have to Ludicrous. worry about the cop. yeah there's no reason to worry about the the police officer that just choked a person to death while he was telling him he couldn't breathe because we got black on black crime in chicago but what people don't recognize is those people that live that way in Chicago don't live that way because they wanted to. They live that way because they were forced to, right? Yep. And when we realize that it's, it's the country at all levels of government that forced black people into those positions that now other people are in also, but black people in general were forced, forced into that. And if we want to remedy it, then we have when the state does you wrong, then it's up to the state in some way to make it right. And it, that's an easier conversation to have if we're not talking about uh, making things right because of slavery, right? Yeah, I They're think- They're playing the same thing, but this one's easier to understand. Yeah, I think that, again, you know, we're talking about context, right? And, yes. with, uh, and so there's things, anything is, something else if you give it a different context right. let me give an example um so i don't know if our listeners are aware of how slavery started 
uh, in the uh, with the Western world, and it was the British, right? It was my people who went out there and created slavery. You know, it definitely was taken up very well by other nations, um, but it was the British who started it. Um, but it was the British who ended it. The British were the ones who first abolished slavery. Absolutely. But let me just tell you what people don't know about that. You know, you're talking about reparations, okay? Mm -hmm. So let's just tell you what, what people don't know about that. Who owned all the slaves in Britain? When the day it came to an end, who owned all the slaves? Obviously the wealthy people, people of the aristocracy, people who had a lot of money. Right. How were they able to suddenly give up all this free labor? Very simple. Right. The government said, we owe you money for every slave that you free. The government paid back the wealthy people for the slaves they released into, it didn't pay the slaves, they paid the wealthy people to the money back for every slave they lost. Guess when that bill got finished being paid? So we know when slavery ended, right? right. When did slavery end? It was uh, 1865 in the US. In the US, it ended before in the UK. So when do you think the bill was paid? When would Tell you me. guess? So when do you think the government of England stopped paying all those aristocracy and wealthy families reparations for their loss of slaves? I wouldn't be surprised if they're still getting paid. Exactly. It was in the late 1990s. Yeah. Right. The British taxpayer, the average working man in a coal mine or in a steelworks, or in a, in a supermarket, or whatever it was, was paying taxes to the government who were paying money to the wealthy people because they lost slaves in 18-something. Right. Meanwhile, black people didn't get any reparations for having been slaves. Right. Meanwhile, the poor British people are paying for the wealthy people who already had money. Right. This is the insanity that people don't understand. So let's give things a much more realistic context when we talk about privilege. Because yeah. right there, the simplicity is, the privilege is we're going to pay you for losing a worker. I get that. I understand that. But let's also pay the worker who never got paid for right. their entire life of working. You might want to think about that. Mm -hmm. right? So if I'm going to pay you because you don't have a, a free labor anymore, okay. But I also got to say, now we freed this person. We, we need to give them a bit of chunk of change to get them started so they can have a start in life. They never had that. So they, they're always 50 yards back right. in, in a 60-yard race. But there's a reason you, you create cultural context with information. And mm. there's a reason why our history is told in a simplistic fashion. Right. Because if you told Absolutely. it the way it was supposed to be told, it'd be more obvious what we should do. The challenge is to do it in a way, especially in this country, to do it in a way where the person that you're trying to educate about it doesn't feel like you're getting ready to attack them for being white. And that that is a challenge. Yeah. That I mean, I think challenge. that's the, that's the, the and again, that's the context, um, mm -hmm. because I think that a lot of white people you know, I'm white, if in case you're listening, and you've never seen me. Um, I think a lot of white people feel like they're paying the debts for other white people back in history. And they're like, that's not my fault. Uh, you know, and, and I get that. I get I do understand that. It's mm -hmm. not your fault. Well, but I heard a very 
go I'm ahead. sorry. No, go ahead. Jump in. I heard a very good analogy with that. Uh, um, this was uh, the book Cast by Isabel Wilkerson. And in that book, she said, uh, people will say, well, I never owned a slave. That's not, you can't blame that on me. And, uh, and she said, well, you didn't build the house you live in, right? But it's your responsibility, isn't it? Right. And like this, this country that we live in, the structure wasn't built by us, but now it's our responsibility. Yes. And the leaf is rookie, the leaf, the leaf, the roof is leaking uh, with inequality and the floor is, uh, is, is faulty uh, with the remnants, with the remnants of, of slavery and sexism and racism and all of those. Otherisms. You know, yeah. yeah. All those otherisms. I mean, we talk about for all of the, for all of the uh, black people that have been done wrong, Heck, we never even mentioned Native Americans and they were done wrong first. I mean, they genocided the Native Americans to make room <laughs> to enslave black To bring people. slaves, yeah. Yeah, so, and, and even when, you know, uh, when slavery was here, women had no more rights than slaves did, except they didn't get beat and they didn't have to, uh, they didn't have to uh, uh, work the fields, you know? Yeah, uh, it's, you know, it's, and do you, do you feel, or, you know, I mean, maybe you don't know enough about this and I'm not suggesting you should. I'm just asking, mm -hmm. do you do you feel like with the things that were put in place legally, certainly in the last tw maybe 30 years, that Native Americans have been given enough reparation? I mean, you know, like they can go to college for free and things like that. Not really. I mean, no. I don't think so. No, not right. even not even close not even close and um the main the the main thing is i just think that people need more information and if the body of people had more information we do better by it because it doesn't necessarily have to be a check in a person's pocket no. it could be giving them the chance giving people that were forced to live in crowded apartments the chance to go to college like the families of of families who were able to own property and have equity and have that wealth that was given to them by the government just to try to make our cultures equal. Because the, the, the statistic that really shows it, the difference between white wealth and black wealth mm -hmm. is, I'm not gonna argue a number, but it's much lower. Sure. I'm sorry, between black income and white income yeah. is much lower right for black people but when you get to black wealth and white wealth it's almost exponentially worse yeah because black people just generally as a culture have never had the opportunity to have wealth to pass down if you were able to own a home in the 30s yeah. you know what i mean think yeah. about that's a wealth giveaway right that's a wealth that's an equity that's a chance to pass pass inheritance down to your progeny situation. But if you're forced for no fault of your own mm -hmm. to live in overcrowded housing, and then you get it, you're in overcrowded housing, high crime, crowded schools, inferior schooling, and you're all being judged by the same test. It's like, it's like white, it's like if we're all running the hundred meters, you get to start on the 50 yard line and I get to start from the starting line 
right. then you're looking at our times going like, why are you so slow? Yeah. It's, it's, but it's, you know, the, the interesting thing for me, um, because of who I am and how I tend to look at things is mm -hmm. we can argue about the economics. We can argue about all these very sort of logistical and uh, strategic things and, and even reparations being financial. But there are some things that I don't know if you can ever bring them back. Um, and what, what I mean by that is, um, as you know, I came to live here in North America from Australia. Mm -hmm. um, although I was not born there, I lived there. And I was fascinated by the Aboriginal culture. And the Aboriginal culture is devastated, like the North American Indian, uh, who are not Indians, of course, who are Native Americans. But as, um, as Aboriginals the, were original, even the name. Yeah. So, so you know, so, and I watched how their cultures were devastated. You know, Dreamtime was ridiculed. These people were beaten for speaking their own language, as they were in North America. And Canada, by the way, where I live, which is this wonderful country and everybody talks about it being wonderful. It is. And it's a phenomenal country. And I'm so blessed to live here. And at the same time, treated Native Americans or Native Canadians pretty shitty uh, up until not long ago, like 20 minutes ago, you know. <laughs> so, you know, so when I look at this, for me, it's it's not just all of these things. It's the development of the culture. Right. of that people that disappears right. like so i'm going to give you an example because you live in the south you're you're a black man living in the south i'm gonna guess because i had a conversation with another member of your family <laughs> <laughs> that you exactly that you are a christian because that's what happens in that part of the world i i will tell you absolutely clearly I have no freaking understanding of a black person being a Christian. I don't get it. <laughs> to me, it's insane. And I'll tell you why. And I'm not talking bad about Christians. No, right? no, I not at all. But I'll tell you why. Because black people lived in Africa. They had their own cultures. They had their own religions. Never heard of Christianity. Then these bastards show up with a Bible and a gun and a whip. They nail you to, to a bunch of shackles. They take you off to a foreign country and they make you praise a God who says it's okay to enslave you. Right. And then you become a Christian. Like for me, like I'm, I'm like, <laughs> I think that is insane. Personally, mm -hmm. I don't get it. But that for me is what I'm talking about, about the rot at the level of culture. Like, so right. that rot, which is, you know, now it's all, you know, uh, I mean, at least people are now saying black baby Jesus, which I actually think, think is great. But, mm -hmm. you know, the, it's like the rod at the cultural level, like so in a different parallel universe, because I'm into quantum physics, in a parallel mm -hmm. universe where black people never became slaves, but many of them moved to America. What is the black church? What is the black temple? What is the black culture? Because I'm telling you, it's not what it is today. Although I love to go to a black church and I love all the hallelujahs and all that. I do. And I'm not Christian, but I love it musically. Mm -hmm. I love the, the, the speakers, but it would be a different church. It would be maybe not Christian at all. Maybe not Jewish. Maybe, a, maybe not a faith that we know of today, but it's right. that cultural rot that for me is a very interesting and a far more, uh, a deeper philosophical question. Well, this is the, 
this is one of the beauties of black people is that, especially in this country, just being in the worst situations, black people have something in their soul that takes the worst and turns it into the best. Good example. Like, uh, I did a I, I did a post on Facebook years ago about the N word being the chitlins of the English language, and basically it's like if you know anything about chitlins, the guts of the guts of the universal symbol for filth is what they're giving you for food. Yep, and it's in a very disrespectful way right across the way they're eating ham and you know all the great parts of the of the pig, which was never good for you in the first place, but they get all the choice cuts and they'll give black people, uh, the slaves, the guts. So yep. black people did what they've always done. Take it, turn it into a delicacy, right? Yep. Now everybody wants black people's chitlins, right? Yeah. Turns it into a delicacy. The same with the N word is the same thing. Like the, the word nigger, black people didn't invent that. So they took the sting out of it. You're calling us that, we're gonna turn it into something cool. And we're gonna turn it into money too. To the point that now you're upset that you can't say it. We can say it, we took it from you. We can say it, but you can't say it and you better not say it to us. That's what black people have done the best. That's what black people did with Christianity. Yeah. Right, here's this thing, because uh, Frederick Douglass, mm -hmm. he just ridiculed, he ridiculed uh, Christianity, how Christianity was used to uphold uh, the worst part of humanity, slavery. Yeah. But black people have taken that culture, taken that belief system, and turned it into, uh, turned it into uh, something great for them. And that is, uh, that's the beauty of, of black culture because my parents were both Baptist. Like, I'm really sure that I don't, I don't uh, absorb Christianity the same way that they did. Sure. Right. And um, I, under I understand all the sides of it. You know, I understand it like I understand it. And I respect people that don't that don't see it like I do. But like for a person, for a person that uh, that doesn't believe in God. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, if your if your example of Christianity is the talking snake in the burning bush, you know what I mean? I can understand a person that goes, you know what? You know, I'm not sure if that's you know what I mean. What I'm going to give up my Sunday over? You know, exactly. Yeah. Um, like, let me think. The snake was talking, then it was raining all over the world. You know what I mean? I could I could understand that, but again, things are context. Things yes. are context. Religions are tools. They're yes. tools. They're not the whole. They're not the whole thing. So, if if you use religion as a tool, that's cool as long as somewhere in there we respect each other because that's going to be the thing that's going to make us be able to go forward not the fact that we have the same religion because christ there are christians that don't get along oh but many we, yeah yes if we respect each other we can move forward and that's that's what i'm that's what i'm working on right that's and that's what that's that's a great place for us to end this part part one of the show which is uh, you know we're talking about like we as we move into respect and talk about about that because this is uh, obviously a fascinating conversation and, and takes on a lot of different meanings. So we're going to continue our conversation with Joseph Wooten uh, in part two of this delicious episode of Curiosity Bites as we talk about the rhythm of respect 
Of course, as you know, that Joseph is a uh, Grammy, three-time Grammy Award-nominated artist, and he is an author and a speaker. And we're going to be back in part two, so stay tuned to this delicious episode. Stay curious, my friend. Stay curious about the rhythm of respect. I'll see you on the next show.